We have got the legend Terry Mills on the podcast today. Terry, how's it going? Thanks for having you. Thanks for coming on, I mean. Well, I appreciate the kind words, man, the legend, man. That's kind of stretching it out a little bit, but I really appreciate it, man. And Hey, man, everything is, uh, I guess, going as well as could be expected, man, during this pandemic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't be too humble. I mean, I was looking up, you're part of that championship team. I was looking up some of those games during that run. You were killing it. Hey, yeah. Well, I had my moments. I had my moments. And, uh, you know, it, there's there's a lot of uh, a lot of us there. You know, we got to pay homage to guys like Phil Hubbard and Steve Grody and Ricky Green. Man, it's just so many, you know, guys there that, that put in that work, man, that, you know, when someone calls you a legend, man, you got to be humble about it because uh, we know our Michigan heritage. Yo, for sure. That is for sure. Now you are – how many years now with the radio for Michigan? Oh, man, I, I kind of lost count. I think it's either seven or eight. I think I came in the season right after they made it to the finals. So they made it to the finals, what, in 14? Mm-hmm. It was 14. I came the year after that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the year after that. Okay. I, I wanted to get your take because you've seen it from then and now you've seen the transition to Juwan. And, I mean, I don't know what your relationship with Juwan is or, or – you know, but you've been observing the program for a while now. Like, are are you shocked with the success, or is this something that you kind of seen and you, you knew Juwan was capable of? Well, I knew Juwan was capable of. I'm, I'm definitely not shocked at all, you know, uh, especially where, uh, you know, who Juwan is as a person. I've, I've met him, you know, way back. I mean, I actually recruited Juwan to come here, you know, when Coach <laughs> Butcher and and uh, Coach Fisher was calling me when I was in the NBA, like, hey, man, can you give Juwan a call? Man, we need to get this guy in. You know, it's almost like if we get him, it's a domino effect. The rest of the guys will come. So, yeah. Um, so I kind of figured he had leadership qualities in that in that state. But, you know, with him coming out of the Miami Heat, which I played for the Miami Heat for two years, I already knew what, what, what uh, cloth he was cut from, you know, uh, coming uh, – under Pat Riley, Spolstra, I kind of see some of those same, you know, traits that, that he's carrying over at Michigan. And, and we laugh about it a lot because uh, both of us being in that uh, in that system in Miami and I see Juwan doing the same thing. I just look over him and we just start laughing at each other. Yeah, yeah, I bet. <laughs> yeah, big man coaches. How come – I was talking to somebody else. How come we don't see more big man coaches? You know what? I, I wish I knew that, man. I, I don't. Uh, I don't really understand that. And I, it, you know, it's, it's it's good for me to see former players get back into coaching. Um, yeah. I don't know if we were getting kind of a, a falsehood of saying, "Well, we know he can play. We know he know the game, but can he coach?" You know, and you know, I look at what Jawan has done. And he, he just went about it the right way. I mean, you've got Phil Martelli, who was the godfather in my – I mean, I love Phil. Mm-hmm. You, you go back and you get Howard Isley, who's a point guard. I mean, Jawan doesn't play point guard, so why not go get a guy that plays point guard, that knows that position? I mean, you can't beat that when when, when you start doing things like that. You've got, you know, guys like Saudi Washington, who was just, you know, unbelievable, you know, in, in the MAC conference, you know, and – um, you know, when you got position coaches that you can coach and you actually play that position, I think it goes a long way. And I mean, that's even carrying over when you're talking about looking at Jawan, how he's working with Hunter right now and Austin Davis doing what he's doing and John Teske was doing what he was doing. Yeah, I mean, those guys love working with him and you can just tell that they're kind of rubbing off on him because 
Juwan is kind of hands-on. You know, he's not no coach that he's sitting in the stands and he's watching them. He's hands-on. I mean, Juwan's down there defending these guys, throwing hooks on the posts and all that type of stuff. And, and, and that says a lot. You know, anytime you can get a coach out there and, you know, Juwan just kind of makes sure that he doesn't, uh, you know, let those guys make contact. Even, you know, Coach Chris Hunter, yeah. you know, he, he kind of gets out here and, and, and guards the guys a little bit. So I think those guys really, really appreciate it. Yeah, no, I bet. I remember our big man coach, shout out Bakari Alexander, he used to throw the pad on us. I mean, he would just abuse us with the pad. Yeah. He took real pleasure yeah, in that. Really BA, you know, matter of fact, he texted me yesterday. And, uh, we keep, yeah, we keep in contact. B.A. is a, a great man. And, you know, that was his style of play, man. He was rugged, man. And I'm quite sure he got a, a, a lot of uh, enjoyment out of, out of beating up you guys. You know, that's probably the only time he can really get after you and make contact like that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I want to ask you about the big man, Hunter Dickinson, and, and what you see in the development. And some people, I guess, you know, they said he was in a bit of a tough stretch there before the break that they had. Uh, he came back, I think, looked pretty solid. Uh, you know, they, they had a little bit of rust. But what have you seen from him, and what do you think he can take his game? I, I mean, just a very solid, high IQ player. I mean, when you look at him, and um, probably one of the smartest players that I've seen come in to a, a college program um, when you talk about players playing without fouling, you know, showing his hands, not mm-hmm. a whole lot of foul trouble, you know, just not making a whole lot of stupid plays, you know, and, and I think he's really absorbing everything that, uh, you know, Coach Howard is talking about, you know, when you talk about pick and roll action and Juwan, Coach Howard played, you know, pick and roll actions for 19 years. So who could you learn from better? Yeah, and, uh, you know, pick and roll actions, and and he's really, you know, just really just absorbing it and taking that in, and you know, I, I really feel like he's a special talent. I think it's going to grow. I think eventually he's going to be able to step out and make that a uh, short jump shot. He's going to get confidence in it, but I just think he's just on the right page, man. And all of these guys that Coach Howard have is on the right page, man. And you know, not looking too far ahead. You know, living in the moment. And I mean, I love it, you know, because quite sure you know of guys that when they get to a program, the first thing they're thinking about is, hey, I'm going to the NBA. Mm-hmm. And when you got that stigma and you're trying to live up to that, it just makes it hard, man. I mean, you got to just play the game and let the chips fall where they may. Yeah, it, it gets very difficult, uh, you know, melding all of those dreams and egos and everything. And you guys did it really well. I mean, I was looking at your roster from the championship team, and it was like six guys that at least got to the NBA a little bit. Uh, maybe maybe it was seven, but at least six. And I was just thinking, like, how how crazy it is to have those dreams come together and just, you know, work towards one goal. And you guys, you know what that's like. I mean, I didn't quite get there. You know, we overachieved my senior year. We wanted to share the Big Ten, but we kind of flustered in the um, – in the, in the tournament, but you guys really put it together. Like, what does that take once you get to the tournament? It's just a lot of sacrifices, you know, to be honest with you, because, you know, when you come to the University of Michigan, you know, you're considered to be a top-notch type guy or a top-notch player. And you talk about, you know, McDonald All-Americans, guys who, you know, basically were the guy on their team. Uh, I could probably even attest to you. I mean, talk about 
a guy like yourself probably averaging 27, 28 points coming out of high school. All of a sudden, now you're at the University of Michigan. And you got to take sacrifices. You know, you just can't come in and they're saying, hey, you're going to get 15, 20 shots. You're going to average 27. You've yeah. got to take sacrifices. And that's what it was about our team. It just took a while to jail, but we just started taking sacrifices. Because you're talking about maybe at least five or six guys on, on, my, on that national championship team that was the man on their team in high school mm-hmm. and average anywhere from 20, 25 to 35 points a ball game. So we all know the story. There's only one basketball. We've got to yeah. take some sacrifices. And, uh, I, I think that, you know, we grew uh, to learn a lot about one another. Um, I think, you know, once Coach Frieder had left, I think one of the biggest things was the challenge that, Bo Schembechler had gave us. I think he put things in perspective by saying, this is what I would like you to do. This is what I want you to do. This guy's going to do that. And, you know, Coach Fisher even elaborated on it. And, you know, he just put, you know, your roles in perspective about what was expected of you and this is what we'd like you to do. And everything else fell in place. It's almost like you guys paved the way for that Fat Five team to come in because you had all that talent those guys could see like, okay, we can come here, shine, win. You know, we know we got to be, have our sacrifice, but we're going to have our moments where we can come in and play. Like, do you feel like you paved the way for, you know, Jawan, all those, all that talent to come in? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, you know that just when, when you're being, you know, recruited, you know, it was guys like, you know, Gary Grant and Antoine Jobert and Roy Tarpley that want, made me want to go to the University of Michigan. So you always got to have a group that's ahead of you that you can actually see and say, hey, man, we could we could do that. So us winning the national championship, I think that probably put all those guys together and just mm-hmm. said, hey, man, if we can all just come together and come here, we can do the same thing. You know, they just fell short a couple years. But, I mean, those are some amazing teams. And, you know, when you look back on it, man, you just say, man, what a team these guys had. And, you know, they came in during an era, I guess, I mean, the social media wasn't there, but they was just getting a little bit uh, more notoriety, if you will. You know, it's kind of like we won a national championship. I mean, we had media coverage, but not as much as, you know, the Fab Five. They had a little swag and had what they had. But it's crazy because even with that, you know, I I see people that are fans on the street or I guess you want to call them so-called fans. They'll, They'll always ask me and they'll be like, Man, you guys were something else, man. When you played for the Fab Five, I'll be like, I didn't play for the Fab Five. Or sometimes I don't even answer. It just be like, yeah, so just running it all together. Okay, yeah. so what number was I in the Fab Five? You know, was it Fab Six, Fab Seven? <laughs> you know, so it makes it uh makes it kind of funny. But uh, you know, I I enjoyed the success there, and I'm quite sure that uh, Coach Howard. We talk about it all the time about the success that he had at the University of Michigan. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that because I get asked, like, you know, where where'd you go to school? I said, Michigan. Oh, were you there when they, you know, championship run in 13? Like, no, I left the year before. Like, right. we were still good, I think. But, like, yeah, I wasn't quite, wasn't quite there. Right. Yeah. I, I, want, I want to get into some of the current team. But you mentioned Bo Schembechler, and you were there at the end of his reign at Michigan. So I'm curious to know how that was. I mean, that was a big deal when he was done at Michigan and like maybe talk about what you learned from him and then sort of that environment towards the end. Oh man. 
Oh, I mean, he, he just really taught me a lot, man, just about, you know, just being professional. And, you know, when you always talk about being a Michigan man, uh, and people always ask me what that is, and I say it simply is this respecting one another, you know, and uh, uh, respecting people's time and place and things like that. And, you know, I think one of the wheels that uh, he kind of wheeled on me was, you know, being on time, you know, and he used to always get on me like we're – you know, I remember him sending a pass. He was the athletic director wanting to talk to me. And he was like, well, I heard you've been late for class. I was like, no, I haven't missed a class. I haven't been late <laughs> anything. And he said, uh, well, uh, what time did you get there? I said, well, class started at 5. I was like, I got there at uh, uh, 5 minutes too." He was like, well, you're late in my eyes. I was like, what do you mean you're late? He was like, 15 minutes. You get there 15 minutes beforehand and then you're not late. So, that's something I've always instilled is about being early, being 15 minutes early and then, you know, coming out and just always respecting each other, uh, treating people the way you want to be treated. Um, I, I seen him years later. Uh, actually, I was on a golf course um, and maybe he was maybe a couple links over or something and he heard me and I just heard his voice from behind the bushes and it was like, Mills, what are you doing? And I was like, that's nobody but both. You know, I, I just heard that voice, man. And, you know, we exchanged words and had a good time. He just said, you know, how proud uh, he was of me and how well I, I represented the University of Michigan. And those were just some, some great times, you know. And, yeah. you know, Bo was just one of those uh, coaches and athletic directors that stayed after you and just always wanted to see you do good. Yeah, that's that's very unique. I mean, I I know we had our interactions with the AD when I was at Michigan, but to have that sort of relationship, I mean, was he putting his fingerprints all over everything? He made sure he was coaching basically at all times as an AD. I I, w I would think so. I I think that uh, he wasn't necessarily an athletic director. He wanted to be more or less, I guess, a mentor. If he found mm. out that you were slipping in a certain area, mm. uh, he was just showing that he was concerned, you know, and. You know, uh, uh, my buddy Sean Higgins was like, he never even knew that Bo knew his name or really <laughs> know that he even knew anything about him until he challenged us because, you know, we were all upset, you know, that we weren't getting the shots we were getting or wasn't supposed to be getting during that mm -hmm. uh, that exchange. And uh, he basically told Higgins, he was like, well, Higgins, I've got these transfer papers in my pocket and if you're not happy here, we can get you out of here. And Sean was like, I had no idea that he even knew I wanted to transfer or even thought about transferring. So I just think that he just stayed engaged, Bo did, uh, in knowing uh, about every single player, you know, and and you might not have thought that he knew about you, but he knew everything about you. Yeah, yeah. Well, before we get into some of the current team and talk more with Terry, here's a couple words from our sponsors. Support for today's episode of Go Blue with Stew is brought to you by Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. They obsess over their technology developments to provide you with the best tool for your grooming experience. With more than 2 million users worldwide, Manscaped has partnered with me to provide an exclusive offer to you. 20% off and free shipping with the code GOBLUE at manscaped.com. That's GOBLUE, G-O-B-L-U-E. Before we get back to the show, let me tell you a little bit about their Perfect Package 3.0 kit. It starts with the Lawnmower 3.0. They're a third-generation trimmer that features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin-safe technology. You don't want to worry about nicking the goods while you're trying to clean up down there. Feel confident shaving your balls with the Lawnmower 3.0. 
In addition to the new blade, the Lawnmower 3.0 comes with an LED light for a more precise trim, and it's waterproof, so you can take the grooming to the shower. Truth be told, you don't want to be using the same trim on your balls as on your face. The Perfect Package 3.0 also comes with the Crop Preserver, an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer, and the Crop Preserver, which keeps the goods from sticking to your leg. Plus, Manscaped threw in a couple of free gifts, a pair of boxer briefs and a travel bag, so you can trim on the go. So get 20% off and free shipping right now with the code GOBLUE at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com with GOBLUE. Your balls will thank you. So I want to get into the current team and really kind of dissect some of it from your point of view. Um, the Wisconsin game, first of all, we'll start with that. And just watching it, I personally had the feeling that the first half, like, all right, they're not playing well. Maybe a little rusty. You know, we can chalk it up to that. But I didn't feel too worried the entire time. I, I don't know what it was. I mean, you have you have a good perspective on that. What did you feel during that first half? Yeah, I, I just – I'm the same way. I just didn't feel worried about that game. Uh, Stu, you, you've been through the grind and yeah. you know as well as I, I do that there isn't an easy win on the road in the Big Ten. You know, <laughs> every game is a fight. So, I'm kind of like going through my mind. I'm like, well – we're coming out of a pause, who would you rather play? And it's like, well, that's not an easy game. You know, you could play Northwestern and you could be in a dogfight. I mean, you just seen the game the other day where Northwestern pretty much had uh, Illinois on the ropes. So it's yeah, it's just one of these seasons. And, and that's the, the makeup of the Big Ten is that, you know, hey, no matter who you play on any given night, you can get beat. And, you know, I just didn't feel like, you know, I feel like they could correct a lot of things. You know, as I watch the game and I see what teams are doing to us in the first half, mm-hmm. and I say, hey, we can make those adjustments because I've seen this team practice. I've seen them play. Well, not just this year. I haven't seen them practice because of COVID, but mm-hmm. the makeup of the team. So me knowing the schemes, me knowing Jawan, uh, you know, the year before, before COVID hit, you know, I, I go to film sessions. So I understand how they're going to play this, what their adjustment's going to be. So I might be behind the mic, but I know everything. I pretty much know how they're going to play pick and roll. Yeah. How this is going to happen. I know whether they're going to double team. So I can pretty much say, if I know it, what guy didn't do it, and that guy's going to come out. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah. he didn't make that happen. So those were just some of the, the insights that I have, you know, from a personal standpoint is that, you know, I just get to see it. You know, I see it all. You know, uh, ride on the bus with the guys. I mean, we go to practice. I mean, I eat with the guys. So it's, it's really, really good insight, you know, that I get a chance to just see it all. Yeah, that's what I love. You know, I think, too, Tony Romo called the NFL games and, like, dissecting everything. And people are like, wait, what is this? And to, you know, watching a basketball game, like, to you and me, and especially knowing the insights, you're like, you know where the rotations are coming. You know what they're supposed to be doing on this pick-and-roll coverage. Uh, but w- what do you see that maybe they can improve on? Because right now there's so many great things to say. We can go into that. But what what is a couple things you think? Well, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to say. I mean, when you're when you're uh, 14 and one, it's really hard to yeah. say. Um, just just the consistency overall. You know, I, I would like to see them. I know they always make their halftime adjustments, but I would like to see them come out in the in the beginning of the game and make those adjustments on the fly. Um, you know, I always tell, you know, my uh, broadcast partner, Brian Bush, I always tell him, I was like, Helene Ford is lighting us up behind three. And I, I look over at him and we'll talk at halftime. I was like, 
we'll correct that. I said, he won't have no more than one. I'll mm-hmm. just write it down on a sheet. And then the next day, you know, I lean forward, ain't got but one three in the second half. And he looked at me like, how'd you know that? I said, well, I understood the adjustment. Yeah. And I know that Coach Howard's schemes that he's not going to let you beat him twice on something, you know, throughout the course of the game. You know, you're not going to just, you know, light us up in the first half with threes and then light us up in the second half. We're going to make adjustments. And uh, that's exactly what they did against Wisconsin was pretty much, hey, we're going to make these adjustments. And uh, I just said, hey, they're going to be able to do it, you know. And, you know, during the course of the game or the comeback, I was just basically saying, like, you know, when you come back, you know, you always have that saying, you want to get it within 10, get it within 10. Mm-hmm. And then they had that little hurdle there. It was a six-point hurdle. They couldn't break six. And I'm like, man, and then you see Juwan get a timeout. And then we had another hurdle of, like, three. And you've played in so many games where you wasted so much energy trying to get back into the game and just fall short. And I said, well, if we get the lead, they can go back up. But at least we have a mindset that we can take that lead again because yeah. we had it. So I thought that's exactly what happened was when Michigan got that lead, I think Wisconsin might even went back up by one or two points. But, you know, at that point, Michigan's uh, confidence was at an all-time high, and they just kind of feel, hey, we can win this ball game now. Yeah, once you break that seal. I was talking to a buddy, and it's like, for whatever reason, I always thought about breaking nine and then breaking six. And then once you get there, you're like, all right, we're good. Like, that's <laughs> good. Okay. That's a bucket and a three, and we're good. Yeah, everybody, everybody's got a formula, but I just yeah. feel like you've got to be able to get over that hump and actually see it. And yeah. so Michigan was able to see it and, and seeing that they took the lead. I was like, oh, yeah, they're, they're going to get this one for sure. Yeah. I want to ask you about the post and Hunter in the post and some of their movement. I think that they can utilize their IQ off the ball a little more and they throw into Hunter and they get just a little bit stagnant. Hunter doesn't have quite the space that he needs. I don't know your thoughts on that, but I just feel like there's so much that they're good at off the ball as well that they can take advantage of. Oh yeah. I, I definitely think that definitely will come into play. Um, you know, we all, they always use a term of, you know, the game slowing down. Uh, I think that that was probably one of the things that Hunter had coming in, you know, mm-hmm. being able to have that patience of, catching it on the post and letting guys double team, understanding where a double team is coming from and passing out of a double team. And, you know, as well as I do, I mean, most of the time you throw it into a big guy, he's making a move before anything else happens instead of, hey, let that guy go through. Let's see where these uh, the motions are coming in at. And I think that he does a good job at that. And I just think that weak side action is definitely going to start to come to life and you know, I've even said it on the broadcast. I say I really feel like uh, Hunter will end up with a triple-double at least two or three times in his career. Have you ever had a triple-double? Never. Never? But you never. passed. You were, you were a good yeah. passer. Yeah, I wasn't a bad passer, but no, never. Well, yeah, that's tough. They, they, they didn't do it like that. You know, it was always – That's true. Old, it's always true. that old funny kind. You know, I, I wasn't John Stockton where he could pass the ball and. 10 dribbles could happen and they gave him an assist. You know, it don't, it don't work that way. You know, it's kind of what a big man, if you don't throw it to somebody, he don't shoot it, they don't give them to him. You know, where a guard is, you know, you could dribble around, throw it to a guy, he could dribble between his legs three or four times, shoot the basketball, and they give you an assist for it. So, 
I think I think big guys are judged a little bit different when it comes to that assist. Yeah, that's probably true. That's probably true. It's not fair, but it's you know it's never usually fair for the big fellas, anyways. No, no, it's it's not. You know, and especially I think you need some uh some home uh some home cooking at the same time. You know, like <laughs> you know, hey, give him an assist for that. That's an assist. You know, where you know you're definitely not going to do it on the road because you know how the statistician are on the road. They won't give you anything. Oh, I've played with guys. They they knew the statistician statistician by name. They're like looking at him during the game, like, yeah, that was an assist. Count that. Right, 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 right. I know what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. I want to ask you about Franz and and his development. And you know, it's only one ball, like you said before. Um, I think his aggressiveness has been pretty good. I think there can still be you know a little better because his talent is so big and it can be so overwhelming for teams, but. Where where do you see his his progress? Yeah, I, I just feel like, you know, not only just him, I mean, we're going to talk about him, but he's just a, a real unselfish kid, you know. Yeah. I could say that about even a lot of Michigan players, you know, when you talk about Hunter, you know, these guys aren't hunting shots, you know, and no matter what the coaching staff says to him, he wants to play a certain way mm-hmm. and he wants to play within a system because I've sat in film sessions where the coaches have said, hey, man, you got to go hunt some shots. You got to get you some shots. And then I'd look over at him like, I haven't had it. Too many coaches say go hunt shots and go get them. You know, but still, you know, even he would even go out and even the next game he would play that way. But I think overall his defense has just been impressive. You know, I mean, with him being having that ability to block shots and taking guys off the dribble, I mean – He's, he's not going to do anything but get better. I mean, I, I love his energy. And, uh, you know, he's just going to take it step by step, you know. And what what I love about these guys is that the fact that they're living in the moment and living for today. I yeah. touched on it before. Um, you don't hear any rumblings about, hey, yeah, I'm going to get ready to go to the NBA or whatever else have you. And I think having a, a coach like Jawan Howard who has been through that, I don't think he's going to be selfish. And once he gets the information and be like, hey, yeah, you need to move on. You need to go. You know, this is this is your time. I think he's going to give a good advice on that because you even see the way he's even recruiting right now. He's not going to be holding guys up. You know, you're getting five-star guys, and if you're ready, hey, go ahead. Do what you yeah. need to do. Let me tell you guys yeah. a little bit about our partners over at Bet Rivers Sportsbook. If you haven't signed up with Bet Rivers yet, now's the time. Bet Rivers Sportsbook is offering a $250 match bonus for your first deposit. But what sets them apart is that they require just one playthrough to turn your bonus into cash money. When you win at Bet Rivers Sportsbook, they pay fast. And now it's even faster with rush pay, instant approval for withdrawals. It's safe, it's secure, it's reliable. I know because I've used it. With March Madness right around the corner, there's never been a better time to get Bet Rivers Sportsbook a try. Go to betrivers.com today or download the Bet Rivers iOS app. Must be 21 years or older. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Yeah, so you've been in those film sessions, and, and I've been talking about it with many people before where Franz needs to hunt those, hunt, hunt those shots. Like, has is, is that been with a lot of guys? Because they seem to be, I wouldn't say passive, but again, they want to work together. So, like, is that, is that for multiple guys? Yeah, I, I think it's for everyone. You know, I mean, I, I haven't seen, like, even this year or last year, I, I, I really can't say I've seen a guy take over maybe 10 or 12 shots, you know, and yeah. 
you know, even heat checks. You know, you don't you rarely see guys even go for heat checks. I'm kind of like I'm on the broadcast, like, man, you got to let that fly. You just hit two in a row, and it's kind of like, yeah. you know, we're gonna play within the system, you know, and do whatever we need to do. Yeah. But I mean, you got to love that, you know, and uh, that's what you got to love about those guys. I mean, even a guy like uh, Isaiah Levers, I mean, who is the consummate pro, you know, for him to come back the way he's did and be impressive like that, I mean. I kind of really thought that that's what he would do. You know, when people was like, well, what do you think he's going to do? I said, well, me being around that kid, and I know him personally. I said, he'll be back. I said, because he's not one of these guys that's, you know, looking at it from a money perspective. Like, I got to get out of here because I got to get this Mercedes. or I got to get out of here because of this. You know, I, I never really felt that from him. I always felt like, hey, he wanted to play basketball. He loves to play basketball. And he wants to live in the moment. Yeah, it, you brought up Isaiah, and it reminded me of, you know, trying to think about the this team and who is leading and who is the leader. And he kind of sticks out in my mind in a lot of ways. But this team seems to have a lot of different leaders at different points. I, I don't know what you have seen with that. Yeah, yeah I, I would say that. I, I think Isaiah has, uh, you know, probably stepped forward. And, and, you know, he hasn't always been that way, you know, just over the years of me being here four years and watching him grow, that he's taken more of a leadership role, not by just example, but, you know, verbally on the court. And, you know, you are a captain, you know, here mm -hmm. at Michigan, so you understand that, you know, a lot of guys are a little reluctant to, you know, speak their minds or their voices or whatever just because of that. But you got to walk a straight line, man. When you when you want to be a captain, you want to lead by example. You got to walk a straight line, and you got to do as you say, you know. So you can't just say, "Hey, we need to get up shots," but now you're not getting up shots. You know, you're at home somewhere. So, you know, you got to kind of follow the role there. And I think he's done an excellent job at that. Um, when you talk about Franz, I think he's getting better at it. Uh, I like his energy and. I'm starting to see that fire. And that's one of the things that I've always wanted to see because, I mean, I know brothers can be different, but Mo had that little edge about him, that little yeah. fire. And I want Franz to have it a little bit. Like, yeah, Franz, get in his face. Say something about him. You know, get him going a little bit because he has that ability. But that's how Mo was. You know, Mo was the kind of guy was he would, uh, you know, had that little fiery edge about him. And, oh, yeah. And I want Franz to have, but that's not Franz's necessarily makeup, but I mean, I'm starting to see it a little bit more now. Yeah. I bet I can only imagine Mo texting and calling Franz and getting in his ear and being like, Hey dude, you got to have that edge. You got to play with that edge. And I've seen a couple of times surprising where Franz makes a big play and then gets real hyped. And I'm like, oh, okay, there we go. And that's, that's what I want to see. Right. Because, uh, you know, I had a conversation with him because when Mo was here, Mo was like, yeah, man, my brother's, uh, He's going to probably end up coming here. I was like, well, is he any good? He's like, oh, yeah, he's way better than me. I was like, come on, Mo, for real. He's like, oh, yeah, man, he's way better than me. So when Franz got here, you know, he started playing. I was like, yeah, Franz, yeah. And I was talking to Mo, you know, before you came here, and Mo said, hey, man, you're way better than him, man. I'm going to be looking forward to that. <laughs> so he was real kind of humble. was like, well, I don't necessarily think I'm I'm better than Mo, you know. But I said, well, that's what Mo said. So yeah. It was one of those, one of those uh, conversations. It's like he's finding out that he's actually really pretty good at basketball. I think so. I think that's what he's, what, he's, what he's trying to figure out. And, you know, if you ever watch this kid in practice, I mean, he's just unbelievable. And it's kind of like 
well, okay, when you get those opportunities, I would like to see that in the game. Let's transfer that over, have that edge then. And I think right now it's starting to carry over. Yeah, I want to get your insight on a Jawan Howard practice because I'm very curious. I, I know I knew Beeline for four years, and it was very detail-oriented, intense, you know, minimizing mistakes. So what is, what's that type of practice with, with Jawan? You know what, the, the same carryover. You know, mm. just, you know, uh, not wanting to turn the ball over, you mm -hmm. know, just, you know, just concentrating on the little things, you know, just making simple plays is the things that uh, he works on all the time is not trying to make home run plays. It's just, you know, do the easy things. And, you know, I think one of the biggest adjustments that a lot of these guys had coming in was the terminology, you know, the terminology changed and, you know, playing with coach Beeline, I've said in some, uh, film sessions and I'm still trying to figure out some of this stuff. I talk to Coach B all the time about the Irish cut, the donut cut, you know, all yeah. that stuff. It's like, man, what is that, man? I've never heard anything like that. So I think you can probably attest to it. You oh, yeah. Or any any language like that. It's like, well, what is that, man? Or the Jerry Lucas and the uh, Jerry West and all this is like, it. you know, he had some different calls, but I think the, the terminology that uh, Coach Howard brings is relating to the NBA. So when he comes mm -hmm. in and he say these things, I can relate right away. And, and you know, I even tell some of the players, I'm kind of like, if you ever do go play professionally in the NBA, you're going to be that much ahead because yep. you know the terminology right off the rip. You know, you know what a stun is. You know what an ice is. You know, you know what a hug and under is. You know, you know all of these terminologies right now i remember being in film session and you know we were creating new words and new phrases like on the fly like okay this is a new cut we don't have a name for it what do you guys want to name it and it's like right. some variation of another one it's like you know you got to keep track i think i've forgotten more of the terminology than i remember but it's uh it is it is definitely interesting and everybody has their own thing and going overseas it's a very similar thing um yeah. Well, you know, it, it was like you just said, it, it, it was totally different. I mean, yeah. I played basketball a long time, and all of a sudden when I started broadcasting and sitting in film sessions with Coach Beeline, it was kind of like, man, what is going on here? I thought I knew everything. Man, I mean, and some of it don't even, like, relate to what's happening. You know, at least when Jawan is calling something, it's relating to what's happening, you know, like – yeah. You know, we heard of UCLA cuts and stuff like that. I've never heard of an Irish cut or <laughs> a donut cut. All of it. Yeah. Waffle. There was a, there was a waffle. Yeah, waffle. Yeah, you got the waffle. You got all that. Exactly. So I don't, I don't want to share all of your insights, but you definitely have great perspective and you've been in the film sessions. And I, I'm curious about the defensive schemes. And this team can create a lot of havoc. So I'm wondering if they're kind of a – play solid and make the right rotations and then you can kind of make the steals in the moment or are they kind of you know is he teaching them to be more aggressive be like Franz go after these steals go after these blocks like how, how is that yeah well, well well definitely you want to be the aggressor I, I think one of the advantages that we have you know outside of Hunter I mean all those guys can do a whole lot of switching you know yeah. especially with Isaiah and Franz and stuff like that those guys can actually switch and keep guys in front of them. You know, I thought one of the keys uh, in that Wisconsin game was Hunter being able to stay in front of Trice, you know, when he was going yeah. one-on-one. And Hunter was actually blocked his shot a couple of times. And 
Trice got a little upset, which, I mean, I'm sure he was. But, you know, when you got a guard that's that fast and one of the top guards, in my opinion, in, in, uh, in college basketball, I mean, those guys will blow by you in a heartbeat. And Hunter was able to keep him, you know, at bay or in front of him. So yeah. I thought that, that was big there. But, you know, he wants them to be aggressive. He wants them to take them out of their comfort zone. Uh, you know, you don't want guys coming out getting warm-up jump shots uh, to start the ball game because that could end up being a long ball game for you. Some guys, when they get going, you know, it's hard to, to turn them off, you know. So um, I think for the most part, with, you know, when you talk about defensive schemes, it comes with trust. And these players yeah. don't really deviate from what the plan is. Like, you know, I'm telling you, okay, we're going to double. Double comes with trust, okay. If I double, my man's diving, who's picking my man up? You know, yep. we understand that as a scheme, but the average person watching, all of a sudden I go double and my man cut to the basket, they're going to say, but Terry ain't playing defense. Well, why would he leave his man? You know, his man just cut to the basket, you know. Yeah. But you got schemes, and that scheme is a chain reaction. You know, it's that, you know, hey, you pick my man up if I pick your man up. You know, it's one of those type of things. Yeah, for sure. You mentioned earlier about Hunter developing a jump shot. And you developed a three-pointer or at least started shooting them more even a few years into your NBA career. And I think at one point you had the Pistons record. I think it was like seven threes or something. You know, how was that development? Like when did you realize you were going to start shooting threes? Were you always capable and that just wasn't the game back then? Yeah, yeah I was always capable of shooting it. But, you know, in my era, you know, if you're 6'9", six, 6'10", six, you're playing in the post. You know, it's just yeah. you're going to handle the ball. You're going to play in the post. You're going to rebound. You know, you're block shots. It wasn't any of that. Hey, you can step out here on the floor. You can shoot a three-point shot, things like that, where in the NBA it was starting to come around because now all of a sudden they were just looking at which can you do talent-wise. Hey, this guy can, you know, run pick and roll and he can spread the floor out. So, uh, all of a sudden, I got a guy like Grant Hills playing point guard. You've got to take your choice. You want the big guy to switch on him, or we're going to switch on that. So it puts you in a dilemma when you got a guy to be able to knock down a shot. And I always tell people, I say, hey, just keep working at it because, uh, and people, and, you know, we talk about a funny thing. People was always like, once again, it would be like, hey, man, I love when you were at Michigan, man, and when you were shooting them threes. I was like, well, okay, here's another one. I was like, I'm 0 for 4 lifetime at the University of Michigan. So now you didn't got it confused with when I was with the Pistons making threes. Yeah. As opposed to that. I'm like, I'm 0 and 4 here at Michigan. That's funny. <laughs> That's funny. I, I remember specifically when you signed with the Pacers. And I don't know why. It's just it's always stuck out in my mind. But you, I think – if, correct me if I'm wrong, but remember being like a, a mentor role with J.O.? I mean, were you, yeah, were you yeah. kind of the guy that came in? and? Yeah, it was more of like J.O. and Al Harrington uh -huh. and Jonathan Bender at that time. You know, it was more or less, I think, well, for me to sign with them, they, they didn't tell me that, hey, they were going with a youth movement. And all of a sudden mm. you get there and now it becomes, okay, yeah, we want to go with a youth movement. I mean, outside of Reggie. So you got guys like uh, myself, Sam Perkins, uh, Derek McKee. Now all of a sudden you come into a mentor role and start mentoring these guys. And, you know, I mean, it, it's a change. And you have to understand that it's a business once you get to the NBA, which I was going toward the end of my career at that time. So 
it was more or less, hey, let's let's try to mentor these guys and get them going. Yeah, you you played with on that team my basketball hero Reggie Miller. You know, I wear thirty one right now overseas because of him. So I'm curious if you got a if you got like a singular Reggie Miller story you like to tell. Oh man, do I have one? I, I don't I don't think I necessarily have one. I mean, Reggie was just one of those guys that uh that really got it going. And when he got it going, he was more or less like he wanted the ball in his hands at all times. And he, mm-hmm. he he'd just be able to tell you right now. I mean, that guy can't guard me, man. Just just give me the ball, man, and get out the way. That that kid can't guard me. You know, just. He, he would have, you know, that type of confidence like that. So uh, just a big baseball guy. I mean, love baseball. Really? Always, I that. Uh, big Angels guy, California Angels, uh, whatever. So a uh, big baseball guy, but like I say, just the ultimate competitor, you know, and, and he kind of remind me of never liked him when I, you know, played against him. Yeah. But when I was on his team, he's, you love him. It's kind of, a love-hate type of thing. Um, I use that reference with Bill Lambeer. Like, people always say, man, I can't stand Bill Lambeer. I was like, I didn't like Bill Lambeer until I played with him. All of a sudden, right. I played with Bill. And I was like, Bill was my best friend. I love playing with Bill. I played with Bill any day of the week, you know, because he was just that competitor like that. And he didn't care about anybody else. It was just Detroit Pistons, that's it. Anybody else, forget about you. You know, it was just one of those type of attitudes. Yeah, you gotta have you gotta have some of those guys on your team for sure. Got it. I'm gonna we're gonna get to a ending part with a few questions, but I want to ask you about calling radio during this time with minimal to zero fans, the environment. Like, how has that adjustment been for you? Is it is it awkward or is it is it nice where it's quieter? Well, you know what, it's not bad because it's kind of the same thing. I mean, I would love to see fans there uh, for home games. Home games is the same; nothing has changed. Uh, what has diff- been different is calling away games. I call away games, and we call them from the Michigan football stadium in the press box. So we're in the press box with three TVs in front of us, and we're calling it off of that. So we're calling it off of a live feed. So it's, it's really it's, – it's a little difficult. It takes a little bit more time to set up, but mm-hmm. – I mean, we get it going because you got to kind of almost time the live feed with the radio, get everything in sync, and it's a, it's a little different. But uh, hey, I mean, I love doing it, man, and especially uh, as long as they're winning basketball games. I mean, you you can't beat it. And then all all the press uh, afterwards because we have zero contact with them now, so yeah, everything after the game is done by Zoom, like we're doing right now. So yeah. we go. You know, if we talk to Isaiah after a game or whatever, we're live on Zoom. So that's just the way things are. And, you know, during this time of, uh, you know, uncertainty and the pandemic, these are just the, the new norm. Yeah. Yeah, it is the new norm. You got to – you adjust and get used to it. But you're a pro, so it's it's easy. So, I got – yeah. I got three questions here to end. Number one, I like to ask every guy who's played about their last game. And you, your last game with Michigan was uh, against Loyola Marymount, really high-scoring game in the tournament. But how, how would you want to bring that? Up? Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have to. We don't have to talk about the game. I think I'm more interested no, in do. sort of that feeling after the game in the locker room. You know, with that defeat, and then kind of, you know, how you took it in the locker room, and then the following week after was that tough for you, or were you able to move on pretty quick? Uh, I was able to move on. It was tough. I mean, 
understanding that that was your last ball game. Um, everyone, there's not a whole lot of people that go out with their last game being a win. You know, right. Um, in that case, you know, it was one of those games where, hey, Loyola, Marymount shot the lights out of the ball. Um, I don't know what the what the numbers was. Somebody said we had actually more field goals than they had, but they had more threes or some something crazy like that. It was like. You know, I remember Coach Fisher saying about that game is like, hey, we want to play at our pace. We don't want to run with these guys and we want to do this or that. And I'm like, man, you're talking about guys that play street ball. I'm like, you know, we said to ourselves, they want to run, we'll run. You yeah. Know? But that wasn't our game plan. And, uh, you know, hey, they were able to able to jump on us. And I think one of the uh, funniest things about that was, after that game, I think we were all we were in Long Beach and we all got ready to get on the bus to get ready to go back home. And Sean Higgins, they couldn't find him. And it was like, I remember Dutcher was like, oh, well, we can't find Sean or whatever else have you. And then when it, once he was, went to look for him and came back, he was like, well, he said he's not going back. He's going pro. I think that, that was one of the funniest, that was one of the funniest things because you just never heard a guy just basically – say it like that you know usually guys wait a couple of days later or whatever but yeah Sean was right on the spot hey I'm going bro you know that's funny. I'm not going back because he was from LA yeah that's where he stayed I appreciate that confidence I'm yeah. gonna tack on one more question here because you're in a very unique position of having won a championship were you able to even in your last year appreciate that or is that appreciation for that championship grown throughout the years because it's sometimes hard to really relish in the wins in the moment you know what, it grows throughout the years and simply because they never forget it. You know, I yeah. mean, still got uh, fans and people that come up to me every single day about where they were during that run or in, in the championship game from, you know, guys saying they were overseas to guys saying they were, you know, their son was being born in the emergency room. I mean, you just hear so many stories about, you know, how appreciative they are of that championship. And, you know, one of, one, I guess one of the, the feelings that I've got was the appreciation probably came later when I seen Michigan make their run and being able to call that, that game when they made it in 18 to the finals, just to see from that perspective how the fans were reacting. Because you didn't – that didn't register when I was playing. But from afar, yeah. and I could actually see it, I'm kind of like, I'm telling these guys, man, you guys don't know how much uh, these people are going to appreciate this years later. And uh, it's going to be an amazing ride because uh, this fan base is unbelievable. And like I say, they, they never forget it. You know, I mean, no. I'm sure I'll leave out of here today, whether I go to the grocery store or wherever, someone's going to remind me of, thank you for 1989. And be like, hey, I appreciate it. So. Um, I, I love the fact that we were able to, you know, accomplish that goal and get it done. And it, it kind of more or less, I guess, you know, made a lot of the fan base extremely happy and, and kind of set a standard. You know, you probably have to even go back further than that from, you know, Cassie Russell to make it to the finals or yeah. you know, they're making it to the finals. Um, but, you know, you, you never understand how that works until you get in it and go along. Because I remember us going into the tournament, playing a game, winning that first game. Well, you always talk about, hey, you want to do this. 
And all of a sudden, we, we're starting to get on ground where, like, how many teams are left? Because we're not even understanding what's going on on the other side. So when yeah. we get ready, it was like we beat Virginia, and it's kind of like there's only four teams left now. It's like we don't even know who's on the other side. Oh, yeah. so we're going to the final four, you know. So, yeah, so it, it was, uh, you know, put in perspective of actually knowing the path and the road that it takes to get there, that was uh, that was special. Yeah, no, I, I can only imagine. And you talked about the fans and – you know, my team didn't even make it to the Sweet 16, and I still get support to this day about what we did. So it's just the love and appreciation is always felt. So I've always loved that about. Yeah, just like you said, it's just the love, the appreciation, you know, the brotherhood. You know, uh, you know, I think Coach Beeline did an excellent job, and I'm sure Coach uh, Dwan Howard's going to do the same thing about bringing former players back. You know, and it's always good to see, you know, those former players come back and, and some – capacity you know yeah. they, they have a big get together I don't know if you've made it to any of them but they've had quite a few of them but and it's yeah. good to see you, you know your former players come back yeah it is nice it is nice to have that to get going again okay yeah. a couple couple more one quick hitter I uh, usually ask the current guys their, their favorite spot between scorekeepers and Ricks but you know you you played back back in the day so the, I don't even think scorekeepers even around I'm not even sure about Rick so what was your go-to spot when you were at the University of Michigan, it was scorekeepers, but it, it was, but, oh, wow. but, but it was called Dooley's. Okay, it was called Dooley's. So I used to go to Rick's every now and then, and then they had the Nectarine Ballroom, which was around the corner. Interesting. I, I don't, I don't think you knew anything about that one. Mm-hmm. But those are probably the main three. It was uh, Dooley's, which is scorekeepers. Uh, then it was Rick's. I've been to Rick's a few times, so. That was probably my go-to. It was probably Dooley's. That's solid. Very solid. I like that. Yeah, scorekeepers was always my favorite. So I'm glad that we have that okay. sort, of, sort of link there. Yeah. Okay, last question that I ask everybody. If there's one lesson learned or one thing that you take away from your time at Michigan and still carry with you to this day, what would that be? Man, the one thing that I would carry right now, Um, I don't know. I, I, I'm still going back to uh, – you know, my time with, with, with Bo Schembechler about that mm-hmm. uh, 15 minutes early. I think that's probably my my, my one perspective and, and about, you know, trying to hold that value of being a Michigan man and making the university proud of you, you know. Yep. You know, as we talked, I'm quite sure, you know, you you were telling me about, you know, your sources and being able to reach out to guys. Yeah. I'm, I'm telling you, you, you can call anybody or reach out to anybody because we have a brotherhood like that and they would love to come on your show and, and have a good time. And, you know, because you may not think they know who you are or seen you play. That's my problem, they, yeah. But believe me, they've seen you play. You, you know, you brought a lot of happiness and enjoyed uh, it, these young, uh, older guys that have uh, – and you've represented Michigan well. So, I mean, they, they would love to come on your show, trust me. No, yeah, that's, those are kind words. I appreciate that. And hopefully we'll have some more and keep this going because it's been a lot of fun. Terry, thank you. It's been great. I really appreciate you coming on the show. You know, I can't thank you enough. Uh, hopefully we'll have you on again. Love you on the radio, so keep it up. And, uh, yeah, take it easy. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys.